0: That as this was being written, it was it was written from a a setting in which there was a real life that was was passionate about the people he was concerned for and cared about. And and so as he was reflecting upon not only this church, but in other churches, he was thinking particularly in the church at Ephesus. It was a it was a healthy church. It was a church that, that a God had done amazing things in. In fact, you could, you could call it a revival in the midst of a riot that, that just happened in the midst of the gospel being presented. But, but now it had been three or four years since he had seen them. And all that he was hearing about was that they were struggling. Uh, they, they were struggling because, as they heard reports about him, he, he was in prison. And they, and they were wondering, well, why would God allow this uh, superstar in the first century to be, to be placed in, a, in, in confinement, where he did not have the freedom to, to go anywhere and everywhere to present the gospel? And, and maybe even though he was under house arrest, that he was suffering uh, physically because of his stance for, for Christ. And then they were looking at their own experience as, as they made that, that fresh commitment to come to know Christ and surrender their lives to him. Uh, they, were, they were anticipating that the abundance of life, that they had heard that Jesus had promised, that Jesus came to, to give life and life more abundantly. Not, not only in terms of, of quantity of life, life that would last forever, but quality of life. Uh, why wasn't that their experience, or at least in the way they had envisioned it to be? Because many of them, as they they live in a very affluent society, because Ephesus was the landing place. In fact, that's really what the word Ephesus means, the landing place. It was the landing place of of people from all over the world that would come. And and much commerce was, was, was happening in the midst of all the thousands of people that would come into that city. And now, for many of them, their livelihood had been taken from them because they recognized that they were they were participating in selling of artifacts for a false god and and much of what they had they had sold and and now they did not have for some of them the financial resources that they had before and and in rich society, they felt that they were poor and so paul who who is known as i guess in that particular Using language for today, he had kind of an A personality. He 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 was moved with compassion for them, and so he decided as he was dictating his letter to to probably Tychicus, who was going to be sending that letter by foot as he hand delivered it, that he 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 wasn't going to say anything for them to do for half of the letter. That there'd be no exhortations and no things he was pushing them. And I don't know about you, but you know, Paul probably looked at himself, I don't really consider myself a pushy pastor. In fact, I don't know any pushy pastors. Well, maybe one, okay? And so he was thinking, I'm not going to say anything for them to do. All I'm going to tell them is how rich they are in Christ, how much God has blessed them. And I'm just going to say that over and over and over again, in every which way I can, in statements and analogies and illustrations and comparisons, and I'm just going to tell you, you need to understand you have everything going for you. Well, well, that is a backdrop. That's exactly what Paul did. He he told them how rich they were. But Paul, like we, understand that sometimes it's not simply enough to know the truth. What we want to do is experience the truth. For many, Christianity has not been a path people have followed because they've never taken that first step. And they've never tried to taste and see if the Lord is good. But for many, many others, they have been around Christianity maybe all their life. And they feel they have tried it and it has somehow been left wanting they 've heard the truth, but it 's not something they experience. And so doubt begins to creep in, and they 're wondering what, what what is this Christianity really all about? Because I see what others seem to be experiencing, but that 's not what I have. So Paul as he, as he writes to them, recognizing that, that God is the great provider, that 's why they 're so rich. He's also the great motivator because because you are rich, this is why you ought to want to be all that you can be in walking with me. He's also the one who empowers for that to be lived out. So Paul then turns in his letter right before he he can't resist the temptation to push them a little bit. The next three chapters to go from riches to responsibilities. He stops and prays for them. Now, now, prayer is a great mystery for us all as well, because many of us have sent many prayers up to the heavens, and we feel somehow it, they didn't reach. They bounced off some ceiling in, in which the requests were not honored or answered in a way that, that we would have anticipated. And so what Paul does for them is he, he prays a prayer in which he knows this prayer will be answered in the affirmative. Now, now we looked at prayers a few weeks ago, or a prayer in the, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 63, in which David doesn't ask for anything. All he does is praise God. And sometimes we can look at that and say, well, that's really spiritual. If all I did was praise God, I didn't ask him for anything. There are prayers recorded in the scriptures that are filled with requests. And this is one of them. But it's it's filled with that which often we don't ask God for. We often turn to God and ask him for what we want, but not really for what we need. And so the message this morning is entitled, Getting What You Really Need. And that's what, that's what Paul prayed for that church he was so passionate for. And, and with that as a backdrop, let's, let's look at this prayer that doesn't have 20 sub points as whoever preached last week did. But, but let's, let's just look at a prayer that, that God inspired Paul to not only pray but to write for us. And I want to submit to you that this, this prayer will be answered in your life, but it will only happen when you, you really want what you need and then really believe that God will actually give it. This prayer will be true for you if this is what you really want and then come to that point where you understand this is what you really need and then believe that God will actually give it. And there is a warning alert here. This is only for true believers. This will not work for those who aren't in relationship with the living God. Are you ready to pray? Let's look at the prayer. Ephesians chapter 3 beginning at verse 14. Paul writes this. "For, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason is for all that he has written before this point in his letter. Because of all the riches you have in Christ. And it's interesting to me, as we think about the identity of the Christian, the identity of the Christian is that we ha- ought to have the, the most secure and, and um, exalted position of uh, identity and have a high self-esteem, all those things. But in the same thing, uh, recognizing all that we have, we also ought to be people who are filled with humility as well. Uh, Paul, look at in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. He said, To me who am... Less than the least of all the saints. Paul, who had just talked about riches, said, (laughs) but I want you to understand, I'm like all of you. In fact, I'm probably less than all of you because all the things I've done in my past. And so we have have much to be humble about as well as be filled with uh, true types of pride where we're we're proud about what God has done in us and through us and for us. And because of all this, because all that God has done, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you look at text, sometimes it's too hard to resist the temptation to kind of go down a rabbit trail for a moment. You know, I I talked to you in Psalm 63 that one of the positions of prayer that often we, we use in giving praise to God in song is lifting up our hands. In fact, we had a song as we were clapping. It's hard to clap and raise your hands at the same time. I guess we could have done this. But... But, and that is a, that is an element of praise where we just extend ourselves to Him physically, which reflects about what's hopefully happening in our hearts as we as sing with our lips. But this is a legitimate posture of prayer as we lift up hands of surrender and open hands to receive to recognize He is the one we receive things from. But there are other postures in prayer. Abraham, and I think it's Genesis eighteen, as he prayed for the needs in Sodom. I, uh, and as he had compassion for a wicked nation or w- wicked place, he he uh, he stood. He and I want to make sure I get this one right. He stood as he prayed. Uh, David in 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 uh, First Chronicles, chapter 17, verse 16, as he prayed for the temple and the kingdom of God, he actually sat. Uh, another posture of prayer, interesting enough. Is. By Jesus, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and what he did is he fell on his, what, face. And all those postures cement kind of images as far as what are they conveying. As we're staying for God, maybe, maybe we're just debating with God for, for what we are passionate about. We're not sure that's where God's heart is, and we're, going, we're pacing. Many times when I pray, I pace. I'm not sure exactly why David sat, but maybe that was a a posture of, of intensity and perseverance as he was going to be in that prayer for a long period of time. When Jesus was on his face, it was a expression of desperation. And remember, that was the prayer Jesus initially prayed from that part of him that was full humanity in the midst of being full deity, that. He wanted that cup taken, that cup that would result in the separation for whatever moment between God the Father and God the Son as He took on the sins of the world. The idea of bowing has the idea of submission. And so, Paul, as he comes to this place of pleading for these people who are rich, but now want them to experience, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I'm submitting myself completely to you. And I want this prayer. To be answered in a way that they see it lived out in their lives. And he goes on and just says, again, who are we talking about? From whom the whole family in heaven on earth is named. Now that has either two dimensions to it. Either he is speaking physically. Every person who's ever lived on this earth was part of God's creation. God is the creator of every person. In contrast, being the savior for only those who come to faith in him. Uh, others take this passage and, and what they, they, they define it as, is it's understanding not that it is the fatherhood, the universal fatherhood of God, but he's speaking that every person who has come into the family of God has come through the avenue by which God has drawn them to him. He is the father. He is the one who brought them in to relationship. But he's speaking about relationship here, isn't he? The reason that we can come eagerly to God in prayer because he is our father. In Romans, he is our Abba father. He is the one who cares deeply for us. And with this, he now ventures into asking of God. That's what we desperately need and God eagerly wants to give us. And so he goes on in verse 16, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So what is it that we really need that God eagerly wants to give us? He wants us to give us his strength. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now, at this point, when we look at what Paul is praying here, we need to look at what he's not praying as well as what he is praying. Often what we have a tendency to do within the church, within our own lives, is is to pray not for that which is the inner part of us, but what is the what? Outer part of us. It's the things that are so obvious. You know, someone is going through a... a, uh, a cancer. Someone is going through the recovering of a, of a very disastrous fall. Someone, someone is going through financial difficulty. Someone is going through a, a, a relational breakup. And, and we're looking at what's happening to them physically. And, and what Paul says, what I pray for you is that you might understand, experience God's power on the inside. On the inner man. And understand that that comes only from the spirit. The spirit of God. Now, we, uh, we have come through a period of time. And it's, we're still continuing. There's a lot of self-help books. That you can spend a lot of time reading. And some of them have a lot of wisdom and insight. But I want you to understand. That the only way that we change on the inside is from the Spirit of God. He is the one who can take any life that is going down one path and, and turn it around. But that only happens when there's a renewing process going on. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles and you're in Ephesians, hang a left, go over a few books, and look at chapter 4 verse 16 Paul writes in second Corinthians 4:16 says therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What do we need more than anything else? We need God to be working on the inside. And for that to happen, we've got to at times intentionally and willfully get our eyes off the outside. And what he wants us to understand that that when we experience strength, it's it, it's not just it's not just coming away with a great physical workout at a gym. This is something that from the inside changes us. It, it begins at salvation, but it doesn't end there. Then it, what theologians say, it continues on to what's called sanctification. The Bible says at at salvation that. That when, when we, we are in Christ, we are a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, all things are new. But it's an ongoing process where God renews us and changes us. Have you noticed that the, the older you get, um, there are certain things you can't do that you used to do? Um, I'm trying to resist the temptation. You know, when when I'm on vacation, Brandon gets up here and all he does is tell stories about me that are embarrassing. You know, so I was I was all planning to do that with Brandon not being here, but I'll I'll resist that temptation. All right, but you know, one of the things that happens when, when the older you get, you notice that that uh, not only can't you do certain things you used to do, but you know, when you do things you shouldn't do, you don't recover as fast. Anybody have that? You know, you just you know, aches last a little bit longer, the pains. Now I know uh, Brandon uh, promised. A couple weeks ago that you'd see a video of me on my vacation well it wasn 't really his fault why he couldn 't do that because he wasn 't given the video and then permission to do it it wasn 't for me but but some of you 've heard bits and pieces about that, but when I was on vacation uh, i was, uh, we were there was a group of us and we were we were looking at sequoias, the big redwood trees, and going out there. There was kind of a group that was touring we had some guides there and, and we found some of these fallen Sequoias that are rather huge if you've been there in the, I mean the, I mean if you're standing to a fallen sequoia tree they're above your head I mean just you know and then there was one on top of the other one And so we were climbing around I happened to get well a- actually Isaiah was with me We were up there and there's a couple of us are up there and We got up to the one part that was on the other sequoia tea, tree And and you're supposed to climb down easily on one side or the other but I was looking and I was saying Well, you know, you don't have to climb down. All you have to do is jump from this tree to the other tree now, before you laugh at me, all right, is, is that the guide said, "Well, you know, usually one person tries that when we're out here," and so that was all the excuse I needed. So, so you know, you're, it's I know the trees are maybe eight feet above the ground, so uh, you know, I so I decided to make the jump, and I, I jumped from one tree to the other tree. Now, I was I was being very careful that I was going to land perfectly, and I initially that's exactly what I did, but there happened to be kind of a crevice or a hole in the tree and when i landed with both feet one foot was on kind of the part i was anticipating but my what ended up being my back foot was in a crevice and, and so my back foot went in a hole and when you when you land and one is a hole your your whole weight goes backwards so on this video that you may or may not ever see what you what you see, it's not that, not that dramatic. All you see is me landing, and all of a sudden, both feet are above the ground. And then all of a sudden, you don't see me at all. Now, now what happened was I, I, I did a backflip, okay? And, and the grace of God was I, I, I landed on my feet. Uh, and I landed actually on a ledge in the tree that didn't always actually hit to the ground. And I missed this branch that was kind of like a spear that would have just gone right through parts of my body if I'd actually hit it okay now even though I landed basically on my feet i didn't actually there was part of my body that didn't land on my feet but you know i just noticed that it took me a little while to recover from that now i could spend all my time you know moaning and groaning oh man you know, my outside is deteriorating i'm i'm not quite as i don't recover as fast but that's not what i need What I need is recognizing that there's an inward part of me. And this inward part, when I tap into the strength that only God can give me, it changes everything. It changes everything. The Bible talks about that discipline profits. It profits a little. And so I think we ought to take care of our body. But godliness is a means of great gain. And so I want to challenge all of us this morning. What are some things in your life that you, that you need Christ's strength for? I, I just spent some time just kind of just thinking through some things. And some of these are, are right where our people are at, and we've already prayed for them. And, but let's look at it on the negative side. Have you ever heard someone, I, I can't handle my grief or sorrow. It's its overwhelming to me. Now, the Bible says that we're going to have grief. We're going to have grief with hope. And when we are overcome by grief, we need to go and say, God, I need your strength to go through this. How about when people say, I, I can't endure my pain? I, I think we've all, had to, well, now, I don't know if we've all had, but we, there have been times where I'm, I'm thinking, I don't, I don't, Maybe there's a momentary blast of pain because I've done something foolish, and I'm wondering, "Oh man, is this ever going to end?" But, but whatever you go through, God can give you the strength to carry on. And so, to say I can't endure my pain is telling God that His strength is not sufficient. Remember, in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, Paul got a thorn in the, in, in the flesh. He prayed three times for that to leave, and then he said, well, God's grace is sufficient for you. When I am weak, then I'm strong. I can't live where I'm living. I can't work where I'm working. I can't live with that man that's in my house. I can't live with that woman that's in my house. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop smoking. I can't lose weight. I can't stop watching pornography. I can't control my anger. I can't I can't stop what comes out of my mouth. You know what Paul prays for us? recording in the scripture for us. I want you to understand that you have strength according to God's might through His Spirit in the inner man. And what we need to do in our lives is get rid of that language, I can't. And I'm not talking about being able to, to, to dunk a basketball, you know, like Lynn Legend did in high school or whatever. I, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about doing things that some people can do that others. That's, that's a Filipino joke. All right. Is that, you know, there's certain things that, that people, you know, or be able to, to play bass like, like Ryan, you know, does up here or whatever it might be. I, I'm not saying that you're going to have the talents everybody else has but to go through the challenges of life or, or to say you can't change or, or really someone you care about and say they'll never change. I, I, I've heard that so many times that, that um, I can't change or that person will never change. Now, that might end up being true, but it's not because they can't. Because God's power is sufficient, and I challenge all this week: what are there, What are some areas in your life that need to change, and you to need to turn from saying "I can't," but through Christ, I can. Paul goes on in this in this letter where he's praying for those who who now know how rich they are, but, but are struggling to live it out, and he he now turns to another. Aspect of understanding how how this is experienced rather than simply just known about. And it begins with understanding that God's power is sufficient. That God can change. And he can allow you to go through whatever you're going through. He goes goes on in Ephesians chapter 3 with the next part of it. And he says uh, in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that's an interesting phrase. It's only it's a very simple phrase. I don't even take the entire verse, but what he's saying there in terms of dwelling uh, is comes from a word that has become somewhat of a watch uh, word within our our culture here at Grace Hills Church. It comes from the word oikos, and and there's an an intensive preposition before that's kata, which really has the idea of the word actually the preposition actually uh, means down. And it's saying oikeo, which is the idea of to, to make at home or to be at home or to be in a house. And, and, and really, as you take those two words together and were to put a definition to it, it means is that I want you to come to that place in your life where Christ settles down in your life. Or, or to put it simply, that, that he, he makes his home. Now, we've, we've all visited people in people's houses, and sometimes we visit people and vis, visit people's houses, and immediately we feel at home because they make us feel at home. I mean, there isn't any place that, that uh, they're embarrassed for you to go into, any room or whatever it might be. You have free access. You can go to the refrigerator or in the kitchen. You can, you can uh, take a grand tour, whatever it might be. You can just relax, and, and you just feel at home because they make you feel at home. And what he's saying to them, if you understand the strength of of God to change your life, then why wouldn't you just allow him to to feel at home in your life? And if we make God to feel at home in our life because we want him to be at home in our life, that that gives him access to everything in our life, doesn't it? I don't know if I'll use this illustration in the the, uh, second service because my parents will be in there, but my mom, who who is just a fanatic on... On keeping the home looking a certain way but there were times if you got there's two places sometimes people have in their house One you have a junk drawer where you don't know where to put it So you just throw everything in that junk drawer and you can't find something I wonder if I threw it in the junk drawer And sometimes you might even have a junk room particularly people come at the last moment Let's throw everything in that room and just hope they never go in there, right or your garage or whatever it might be okay well Sometimes what we do with god is we have a few junk rooms We have a few junk drawers where we don't want God to go into. And some of them are pretty visible. We have in our resource room, resource center in the Fellowship Hall, a little booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Munger. How many of you have ever read this booklet? We've got two or three people. I I would encourage everyone to read this little booklet. But what he does, Robert Munger, who was a seminary professor actually in the 50s when he wrote it and it was updated in the 80s, he, he compared our life to being a house or a home in which Christ is invited in. And isn't, isn't that what happens when you invite Jesus in? There's many word images to describe what it means to cross the line from being outside of Christ to being inside of Christ. Revelation 3.20, and there's a debate whether that's speaking to Christians or non-Christians. I really believe it but actually it's speaking to non-Christians. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him. And whether you take it for believers or non-believers or really for both, which I think has an application for both, it's really really understanding that when we receive Christ, we allow him to enter in and say, you have free access. Just make yourself at home. Robert Munger, in his, in his book, he, he describes you know, the, the home in, in a variety of different ways. He just lists the, 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 the various rooms that we might have, and this is a fairly big, big room. He talks about the study or the library. He talks about the dining room. He talks about the, the living room, the, uh, uh, the work room, the rec room, the bedroom, the hall closet. And if we had more time, I'd just illustrate that in a brief way like he does in that booklet. But just hitting a couple things there. He, he talks about the library or the study. And that could be any place where you end up spending time reading. And, and it could be a place where you invite Christ to come into. But then all of a sudden you realize that there are certain things you read. There are certain magazines you look at. And you realize, you know, I don't, I don't know if he'd like to read that with me. He, he talks about the rec room and... and The dining room and says which is the idea of where are your desires what are your appetites what's important to you what 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 really what really grabs you what 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 entertains you and and would you be open for for christ to be entertained with the same things that that you that entertain you or the workroom what what are the projects you have and and maybe in in the projects you have and it could kind of relate also to the rec room that Maybe there's nothing wrong with the things you're doing, but they just take so much of your time. And all of a sudden, your time with God just gets crowded out. He he talks about the closet, and the closet maybe is that last place where you don't want God to look at. And maybe your closest friends, they know those those are the areas you seem to keep saying no to God about. You know you need to change and if you believe the first part of the prayer because you have the power to change but you're not sure you want to change. And you're actually saying, God, God, look at at all the things you've done in my life and and made me different. I I don't want to give that up. And that room becomes the, the hall closet you desperately hope no one opens up because all those things will fall out. I remember when Matt was running cross-country, and if, you ever, if you've ever been around cross-country runners, they wear the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, they'll run 15 miles a day, and the next day they'll put the same stuff on. Okay, And sometimes he would forget, and he'd actually take those clothes and put them in his bedroom. And we'd go by the hall, and all of a sudden we'd be like knocked down because of the smell. I'd say, what in the world are you doing? Uh, and that's what happens to God. He's in the room of our house and all of a sudden he he, he, he just understands there's something that smells. And, and you haven't allowed him to, to participate in changing that room. Those things that are coming between you and him. And you wonder, why is it you don't experience the fullness of God? Because you don't want the fullness of God. You don't want him walking in those places that that are still dear to you. Paul prays very simple. I pray that, that Christ may dwell. In your heart. That he, that he might settle down. That he might be at home. If The first question is. What is it you need the strength of Christ? Where do you need the strength of Christ in your life? I guess here be. You know what things need to change where 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 is there a place where your life is not pleasing to God? I didn't even talk about the bedroom. We live in a society where where so often even even in the Christian world and they've done statistics where there is isn't any difference between the the lifestyle sexually of Christians than those who don't go to church, and somehow we've said, well you know it's 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 a place where I it's as long as it's private and there's no there's no one getting hurt, I'll do whatever I want. Paul prays for them to to get what they really need, God's strength, and for God to be at home. He goes on and he prays two other requests. He says in the latter part of verse seventeen, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. He, he prays that they might, they might understand God's amazing love. He says, I, I want you to understand the, the, this, the immensity of God's love. I mean, he's got the four dimensions: the height and depth and width and length. He says, I, I want you to say it's, it, it, it covers everything. And essentially, when, when we understand how much God loves us, then that love will spill out on others. But when, when our love life is not where God wants us to be, it's because we don't understand how much he loves us. You know, the Bible says that, that really the, the greatest advertisement for Christ being real is the love of God's people. You know, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And by this, all, all, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In 1 Peter 1, 22, it says that, that we ought to be fervent in our love for one another. Now, why don't we love like God wants us to love? And God's love is pure, it's sincere, it's selfless, it's serving, it's giving, it never fails. It's because at any moment in time, people aren't loving us that way. And we feel, and we bought that lie in this world, that people can fall in love and they can fall what? Out of love. You can't fall out of agape love. Because love is governed by the will, it, it's a matter of choice. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, verses forty-three through forty-five, he says, "You know, you've heard it said that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, but I say to you that you ought to love your what enemies and do good to those who persecute and hurt you." Now, let me tell you: Are you ever going to feel like loving your enemy? Never. You're never gonna feel like someone who hurts you or hurts someone that you care about You'll never feel that It's only a choice And and that choice is is empowered by the truth that god can empower that love One of the simple verses you'll turn to this week is romans chapter 5 verse 5 Which says god pours out his love into you through his holy spirit so it's not a matter that we don't have the love are we willing to allow that love to be? To be displayed. Or do we put. Or do we put a stop sign on it. He says. I want you to understand the immensity of God's love for you. One of my favorite stories. Is, is a story of. The prodigal son in the scripture. Luke chapter 15. But I, but I read a kind of a contemporized experience of that. There was a There was a man who had a son named Pablo. And Pablo. Took off and began living. Just a life. So heinous to the. Thoughts and and mind of his father, and and yet he still cared about him. He prayed for him constantly, and he went off, you know, just wherever. He, He just asked that somehow he would come to his senses and return to him. But he realized that once you live that kind of life, often you feel that you can't come back because of the shame and all the hurt and pain you've inflicted on people who care about you. So this father went to great lengths to try to find where Pablo had gone. He had heard some kind of rumor that Pablo had, had arrived in this one particular city. And so he came to that city and he took out a, a, an all-page ad. And that's when everybody used to read newspapers and not get all their news from the Internet. And so he took out this, this full-page ad pleading for his son to meet him in the center of town at a certain time. And all would be forgiven. After that full-page ad was presented in the paper... And he came to that point in the city, at the center of town, at the at the appointed time. There were five hundred people with the name of Pablo that had shown up. Because when you're touched with that kind of love, everything changes. And see, that's the kind of love that God wants us to have to others. And if the question earlier was, where do you need Christ's strength? And the other one, you know, what room in your life or what part of your life is not pleasing to God that needs to be turned over to him? The question here is, who is it in your life that you're not loving? And there's a tender side of love and there's a tough side of love, but love that gives and wants that which is best for another and is willing to sacrificially do whatever can be done help that person become who they can be showing love and concern and care who in your life needs to be loved with a love that Christ has displayed upon you the last request from this prayer is found in verse 19 and it is interesting as Paul pleads for them, and there's so much we could talk about in here, is when he talks about, I want you to understand or comprehend the love of God. He says, the idea here is not simply intellectually know about it. He could have used a different word here. But he uses a word in, in which he says, I want you to grasp it. I want you to put it into practice. I want you to experience it. But as he calls him to understand it, to comprehend it, to 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 get their mind around it, he says... This is a lifelong pursuit, and it's a lifelong pursuit that you'll never finish. Because to know the love of Christ, that, that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, how, how you can ever mind the depths of that? It's beyond the ability to know it completely, which is a great challenge to keep learning about the love of Christ. But then he goes on, and he says this. He says that you may be filled with the fullness of God. We need God's strength. We need for God to be at home in our lives. We need to experience God's love, amazing love, in all the depths of what it is that we might display that to others. And we need to understand that only happens when we get the fullness of God in our lives. Have you ever ever been in your car and you realize it's getting close to empty and it needs to be filled? I think I've told you before, embarrassingly, I have run out of gas more times than I should have run out of gas because... I believe God answers prayer and he'll somehow put gas in that tank that's empty. All right. But, you know, when you do go on the gas, you, 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 you might as well just fill it while you're there, right? But often you look in your wallet and you go, man, I don't have enough money. I might, it doesn't take my credit card or whatever it might be. And say, so you go up to the counter, if, you know, particularly if you only have change. If, can I have 97 cents of gas? Now, that might get you to the next spot or whatever it might be. But, you know, who, who wants that? But often that's what we do with God. You know, I want, I want, I want 97 cents of God. Not, not enough of God to really change me, but to maybe make me feel less guilty than I am right at the moment. So God, fill me a little bit. And, and he really said, you need to be all in here. You need to come to the point that you want to be filled with the fullness of God. And we, you can envision that in so many different ways. But how much of, how much of God do you really want? You want just a little bit or do you want to get all that you can have in him? Because cuz that's where the experience of Christian life really comes. It doesn't come when you only have a little God. You need to have all of him and it's it's a prayer you will answer. It's it's not for the super saints, it's not for the missionaries or the the Pastors, you put them somehow on a pedestal, which I recommend not doing. Most of you don't anyway. But it, it's not—it's for everyone. It's for everyone to experience the fullness of God. Let me ask you. Do you want what you really need? And, and let me say, this, this, this hits me too. Do I want what I really need? Do I want Christ's strength to be applied in areas where I maybe don't want to change? Hopefully, the answer is yes. Do, do I want him to be at home in every part of my life because there are some things displeasing him that, that, that needs to, to be more like he wants it to be? Do I want to love like he loves purely, sincerely, sacrificially, in a serving giving way? Do I, do I want to love people who I don't think at that moment I want to love? Do I want to be filled with his fullness and not just settle? Well, Paul ends this and says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. Which simply says, God will do the incredible if we want his strength, if we want him to be at home in our life, if we want to know his love, and we want to be filled with his fullness. Let's pray. Paul, as he prayed that prayer and wanted us to pray that prayer for ourselves, it was for the purpose of us experiencing and then living out what only God can do in our lives. As we give and then as we sing unto you songs that reflect this heart, Might this be the expression of our passion for you? Father, use us in every way possible because you have given us all that we need. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.